Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, every once in a while, we get to bring on someone who is an elite of the elite of enterprise sales. This is a man who was an enterprise director over at Snowflake. He's now running growth and go-to-market strategy at Superblocks. It's Brandon Wagoner. Nick, why should people listen? Brandon's got some really concrete advice on how you should be running a first meeting with an exec at a not just big, but massive company. I mean, we're talking Fortune 100, Fortune 10 companies where he's sitting down with somebody. He's literally got a book of three accounts. And if you botch that first meeting, well, now you're down to two accounts. And so if you want to learn how to operate as an elite seller in a high stakes sales environment, this is one you should get to listen to. And now you're down to three, two one accounts. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto-reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with 
Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. All right, Brandon, welcome to the show. We start every single interview with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Okay. Thanks for having me, guys. So first and foremost, it's opening proactive backdoors. What I mean by that is the first thing I do when I, I smell somebody might be interested is I invite them to Slack. I invite them to Teams. I send them a text. I potentially get them on WhatsApp, LinkedIn, anything that gives me another avenue to get their attention. Most of the biggest deals I've closed have unfortunately come down to the last hour of the year or the quarter. And if I didn't have that backdoor access to them, I don't know what would have happened in those. And it also gives you an ability of or a level of trust and stickiness that if my competition is on an email cadence and I'm on a Slack cadence, I feel good about who's going to win that deal. Beautiful. What's number two? Number two is champion referrals. And what I mean by that is we do so much to win a champion over, enough to put their job on the line, to get a deal signed. And then unless we're trying to get a renewal out of them or an upsell, you know, a lot of times we walk away from them. If I'm in an enterprise role, I'm immediately asking them, hey, who else within the company should I be talking to? Who could benefit from this similarly? And if I'm in a commercial role where you know, maybe they don't have many other businesses to sell to internally. I ask, hey, who are you playing golf with? Who are you grabbing lunch with? Who are you talking to that could benefit from this same value? Would you mind giving me an intro? And if they do, more often than not, the person they introduce you to will then become your champion or at least your champion in training. Very nice. Round us out, Brandon. What's number three? Yeah. So the last one is potentially the, the biggest secret weapon that I have, which is saying, I don't know. People are, are wary to admit when they don't have the answer, but I've found there's no better way to build trust than being able to admit when you don't have the answer. Whether it's you get asked a technical question or even something about commercial terms that you probably should have the answer to, but you don't. Being able to say, I don't know, gives you immediate credibility. It, it gives them a sense of trust that when you're saying you do have the answer, it's probably correct. It empowers the ecosystem around you. It allows you to send a really clean follow-up item. And one of the biggest lessons that I've learned in sales is that people put you in front of people that you sound like. So if I'm getting into a really technical conversation, it's going to be hard for me to then pivot to business value and try to get up that ladder. But if I'm leading with business value and why, if you do this, it's going to help accomplish steps one, two, and three on your 10K they're going to put me in front of the person who speaks like that, who's probably the economic buyer. It's funny because if you do know the technical answer, you almost might be better off saying that I don't know. Because if you get into the technical weeds, that usually means you aren't an above the line person either. And so you have a really strong enterprise background. And this is where a lot of mid-market or SMB reps struggle to make the transition. Let's say that you get the honor of being in the executive boardroom and you get access to that CXO and you get 30 minutes on their calendar. How do you spend those 30 minutes in a way that demonstrates credibility and does not waste their time? So I already alluded to it, right? The 10K is table stakes. Any public documents, anything of that nature, you got to read them. And that just gets you through the door. Something else that I do is I'll always run their name through Spotify or whatever podcast app you use 
nine out of 10 times, you're going to find them on some short, quippy business podcast. The good thing about business podcasts just like this is they're 15, 20, 30 minutes. And you're going to find out more by throwing that on while you're walking to the office that you will in reading every blog they've ever written and spending hours online doing research. So I think before you even get into the meeting, preparing for the meeting is, is the most important thing you can do. Once you're in the meeting, I'll kick it off. I'll set an agenda. And then I'll lay out the two or three things I think they really care about based on the 10K and the additional research that I've done. And then I'll just blurt out, hey, we just met. I'm not going to make any assumptions here. Tell me why you took this meeting and how can we make the next 30 or, or 45 minutes most impactful for you? And then I'll just shut up. Right? They're, they're the CXO of Fortune 100 company because they know what they want. So what better way than just to let them tell us? Brandon, when you're prepping for that meeting and you're actually reading the 10K, I don't imagine you're, you're sitting by the pool, you've got your feet up and you're just like letting it go in one brain cell and out the other. What's your approach to dissecting the 10K so that you're able to call on that information when you're in the meeting? Yeah, so you're right. It, it's, it's all about control F in this case. But to be honest, the first place and where I spend the most time is on risks. If you can save them from the worst case, I can't come in and say, here's how I'm going to make you $100 million. But I can tell you, here how I'm going to prevent risk, or here is how we're going to stop you from potentially spending X, Y, and Z amount more. Right. So I think going right to the risks is most important. And then looking into the opportunities, right? You can usually tie to their growth strategy somehow or another. If you have those two things down pat and you know at the core what their business is, you'll be fine. Brandon, you're doing all of this research, you're pulling some nuggets from the 10K, and you're starting that meeting not by asking about their business priorities because you've tried to orient yourself around those already. You're starting with the top two or three things that you think they're, they care about. In other words, you're starting with your point of view. Can you talk about what is the altitude of those two or three things? And maybe you can even give an example, whether it's from Snowflake or from your current gig, of what those two to three things might sound like in executive speak. I'll try to get as specific as, as I think I can before you cross the line of jargon, where then it's now becoming clear that I'm trying to be an expert in something that I'm not. right? And that's where you can empower yourself so much more by saying, here's what I'm thinking you care about because I'm reading this. Listen, I've never run a bank. So, you know, some of my other customers, this is what they're talking about. Am I right? Am I wrong? A lot of the companies that I was selling into in my last year at Snowflake, it was right around the big push of, of the ESG, you know, decarbonization. Everybody at, at the top, at least, were starting to make these massive pledges. Right. And so a lot of what Snowflake did was around data sharing. And at the core, right, decarbonization, all that, it's getting data from your vendors, understanding what their practices are, being able to centralize that and analyze it, right? So if you're buying a data, you know, a data warehouse because you need all of these things internally, but hey, it also, you know, it seems like one of the biggest priorities you had, if not the biggest by you know, 2025 is, is to get your handles on a, a real you know, strategy for reducing your, your, your carbon footprint. How do you plan on doing that? How are you guys going to get that data? By the way, that data is all available within Snowflake right now. And here's how Deutsche Bank's doing it. And they've been doing it. And here's the progress they've made. Is that something that, that matters to you? 
And then all of a sudden, we're having a, a very intimate conversation about something that they really care about that I don't have to know anything about their specific industry to know, right? It's, it's just a topic. Um, but now I'm doing him a favor or her a favor because I just told them something that they had no idea about. And now they, they're desperate for that second meeting. And now we, now we have an opportunity. So what you're doing is you're showing up, you're making it clear that I'm not one of these randos who doesn't know anything about your business, but I'm also not pretending like I know every single thing about your business. I'm orienting myself just enough that we can have a sophisticated conversation and you can share your priorities knowing that I'm going to understand. Let's talk about what happens from there. So ideally, you identify, oh, yes, this was important to me that you mentioned up front. Maybe these are two or three things that you didn't think of that are also important to me. What is the ask to the executive at the end of that meeting? The ask is almost always to, to sponsor me with the right people, right? It, it's easy to know who the right people are. And I can even say that in a meeting, right? Here's who I think I, I should be meeting with. And they can acknowledge that. And I can even say over email, hey, I, I just met with X, Y, and Z. They, they confirmed, you know, we had this great talk and they're super excited about it and they're your boss. So you should now be super excited about it. I want an introduction to that person coming from their boss where we're now all CC'd on an email chain. And I don't want to do the CCing. I want them to CC me because that is a ticket that holds more weight than anything I can possibly do and any message I can possibly write. I don't think you have to overthink it. But I think by this point, if I'm going to make that ask, it's because we're, we're going down this road together now. Like at some point along the way, I said something or they said something where, where we click, right? There, there's potential for mutual value down the line. We, we now mutually agree on that. And now we've got 90 seconds left. It's, hey, who's going to own this? Because I, I know you're not going to own it. You're Mr. or Mrs. Fortune 200. So who, who on your team is going to drive this forward with us? And what does driving that forward look like for you? And on what timeline? And who else needs to be involved? good, bad, or otherwise, right? If I can identify who the blocker is right there, oh my God, what a great meeting. But ideally, who's going to be my champion now that you're designated? Who are you making the kingmaker? And then from there, it's great. Would you mind sending an email right after this just so we can keep this momentum going? Shut up, right? That, that's where it's, you know, stop explaining yourself at that point. You're in this meeting together. You're, you're now at some point trying to speak like their peer, I don't need to grovel beyond that, right? And it's a normal ask. It's a reasonable ask. I'm not asking for you to you know, give me a key to your house. And to what extent are you talking about communication preferences and cadences at the end of this? Because I had a meeting with an exec, gosh, probably six months ago, and I botched this where I didn't set clear expectations at the end of the meeting about like how we were going to stay in touch. And I ended up losing touch with that person. And I regret it really, really strongly. And so are you having that conversation with them there or is it not as important as getting the intros to the other people? No, I think it's super important. I'll ask it, hey, do you mind if, if I keep you on CC or is that going to be too much for your inbox? And that's usually the jumping off point for them to say, yeah, keep me on CC. And that's in, in a perfect world, the, the best case scenario, because then I don't have to throw anybody out of the bus. I know they're always going to know that that big person's on the CC. But then if they say, you know, it, it'll kill my inbox, it's like, all right, great. Well, I'm going to check in with you weekly. And if weekly becomes too much, you let me know. We'll make it biweekly until this thing's done or you're sick of me. You can do it you know, a little tongue in cheek there, right? But that's that way they're, they're owning the cadence, but the cadence is set. And in a perfect world, it's set pretty frequently. So just to call it out for the audience, what Brandon is doing 
is he's not bringing this exec through deal fatigue because a lot of people try to turn an executive into a champion. They think this executive is going to do red lines with you. They think this executive is going to do technical validation with you, and they're not. But what you're also not doing is you're also not asking for the intro and then disappearing. Can you talk about how you funnel information back to this executive and what those updates look like over the next couple of months as you're running the sales cycle? Anytime you talk to an executive, you know, if they're about to go sign the check that's going to make your year, they're probably not using periods and they're probably spelling three words wrong, right? I'm not going out of my way to do that, but I'm going to be as short as possible. So it's as easy on their eyes, right? Hey, just met with Joe. Things are going great. Next update next week on track for X, Y, Z, right? If I can keep it under 20 words as short and sweet as possible. And then, and that's when you just have good EQ, right? If they come back to me with, with a novella on, you know, how concerned they are for whatever, all right, maybe, maybe now we're going to have a longer form conversation. But generally speaking, I want them to be able to look at their phone, get it in the little Apple update and then put it down. And they know everything they need to know. And they know that I'm on top of it. Part of the power of doing this is you've met with them, you impress them, they intro you to the team, and you're staying in touch with them. So if you get stuck or blocked somewhere, you have the right to go back to that person and help them sort of put some gas on the deal so it gets moving again. What's your approach in that case? Yeah, it's delicate, right? I, I try not to do anything that I wouldn't want done to me, and, and going over my head would, would probably piss me off a, a good amount. But sometimes it needs to be done, right? And as long as you're you're constantly bringing it back to that one thing or those two things that we agreed upon, it's like, hey, I was working with Max on this. Max has gone dark on me. We had a timeline of X. I know you need to get this done by 25. If we don't have this implemented by midway 24, all of this is at risk. We've got three more months to do it. Is Max still my guy? Are you comfortable with this? And, you know, you could, you consolidate that down, but that's the point you're getting across. It's, are we on track or are we not? And we're no longer on track. And if this still matters to you, which from the beginning conversation, the only reason why we're doing any of this, you said it did, well, then I need you to intervene or, you know, ideally you're still on that first thread and you just send a, Hey, how's it going? And now everything's back, right? So as long as you still have that one, you know, whatever your rock is, just stay to the rock and you'll get home safe. Brandon, one thing that you'll find in these massively cross-functional sales is you've got all of these threads, right? And oftentimes, because you're in the enterprise sales game, you're going to see a lot of divisions that have competing interests or they disagree with each other or you're talking to different groups that are saying different things or pointing fingers in different directions. And I'm curious, to what extent do you engage in that in those conversations to what extent do you inform the top line executive of some of the interpolitical like disagreements on the problems or do you just sort of prefer to stay away from all of the things that you're uncovering as you meet each department from like more of like a political standpoint yeah it's a good question especially in the enterprise i'll, I'll try to attack every line of business almost like it is that you know that first executive conversation all over again where you know, if you're the engineering team or a specific sub-engineering team, right? Some companies will have 40 different engineering teams. You have your priorities and you have your own, you know, mini 10K within your org, right? And if you're my biggest blocker or the biggest risk why this deal isn't going to happen, 
you're now going to be the bell of my ball. So I'm going to figure out why do they hate me or not support what I'm doing. And more often than not, it really has nothing to do with you know me bringing in something. It's because this has nothing to do with what they care about. So to get them out of bed for it, why would they? So if I can find something that you know a similar team as as theirs within another company. And if I can just turn a negative party to a, a neutral or a slightly above neutral party, where if six people are aligned and they're the seventh, they're not going to say no. They'll say, okay, then then that's a win. But I, I try to break down those teams as much as I can um, because you know one bad person sitting in a meeting with everybody else, it starts to get really loud really fast. Uh, so I, I try to, to isolate uh, and break down. So... What I love that you're doing here is you're not running a sales blob cycle. You're not having the executive introduce you to all of the department leads all at once and trying to meet with them all at once. You're meeting with each of them because each of them have their own 10Ks to your point. And then you're taking different deal strategies for each of the department leads. And if one of them goes sour, you're focused on isolating it and trying to turn it from red to at least yellow. And so there's probably a certain point, Brandon, where you have four green lights, maybe two yellow, maybe one red, what have you. And you decide to go back to this executive. And I remember when I was coaching reps on selling SMB a couple years ago, they were afraid to put a 10K price in front of an exec or a CFO or a startup founder. You are probably putting a five, 10, or $20 million price in front of an executive. Can you talk about how do you even do that and build up the case to give that price? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. If I do my job and I bring you a solution that you asked for, then why should I be scared about telling you how much it costs? Right? I'm, not, I'm not charging you 2x. Right? I'm giving you a fair deal for the solution that we agreed upon and that I've worked hard to give you. Right. And so I'll never just present the numbers. Right. I've presumably by this point, to your case, I've gone to four or five different business units. I'm solving sub problems within each. I'm getting metrics from each of those into how my unique solution is not only just changing this larger problem. Right. We're, we're, we're fixing your ESG initiative. We're solving it for you. But along the way, we're also saving dollars here. We're saving the engineering time here. We're de-risking you here. Right. So I'm going to have a, a very robust TCL ROI layout. I'm going to have a very strong business value. I'm going to have a story as to how you signed this paper today. That's not the end of our relationship, right? Here's what post sale looks like. And then I'm going to give you the number and, and I'm going to shut up, right? Which isn't novel advice, right? That, that's what anybody should do in that scenario. But as long as you've stuck to the North Star the whole way, you can do the expensive compared to what and all those things, but you shouldn't have to, to a certain extent, right? This guy has a job or this gal has a job and they have a budget and they know what the cost of not doing it is. And they know what the cost of doing it is. Otherwise, they wouldn't have agreed to do this in the first place. Nobody wants to waste time, especially in the enterprise. When I've probably talked to 80 engineers by this point, I've probably consumed a month of their hours. That's not free. These guys are paid a lot of money. Right. So if they let you get this far and they're not willing to buy or at least take your quote seriously, shame on them. So you should have that mindset of I've earned the right to be here. So don't be scared. 
so I want to talk about the scenario where they do respect the quote, but they push back. And so you talked about how expensive compared to what, but what's your general approach when they they react like, oh, wow, that's a lot more expensive than I thought, or they push back on pricing, or I've seen sometimes people will, will, will get angry, and sometimes they almost play angry, like, this is ridiculous. So like, when you're going into that meeting, how do you plan for that negotiation, knowing they're likely not just going to say, okay, send the contract? I think having transparency as much as you possibly can, right? And not everyone has this, you know, the the benefit to be able to do this, right? You know, some some companies are, are still in the very much of, you know, they, they're building in the pound of flesh to take it right away. But, you know, with, at Snowflake and, and what we do here now is there's a pricing little rubric that's built out. And, and, you know, this is what the discount is based on this amount of years for this amount of commitment. And I'll show it to you and I'll, I'll print it out and I'll, I'll send it to them. I'll email it to them. Hey, if you want to, you want to get a better discount, here's what it is. Here's where your price is going to be next year. Right. And Slootman, God bless the guy. He, he did a, he had a, a hard press on the whole sales team that there was going to be no inorganic discounting, right? Because if Nick's out to dinner and he just bought my stuff and he goes and meets Armand and Armand also just bought my stuff, but one of them is paying 20% more than the other. We all look like, you know, curse word. And so because of that, if you can drive that transparency um, and, and, you know, even do something as dramatic as like, hey, here's my discount sheet. You know, if you if you need to go show them that you got the right deal, go show them that you got the right deal. But we're not pricing this to play games. Uh, and I'm sorry that that's how you've been buying software up to this point. Right. And just leave it point blank. Right. You, you, they're going to expect you to keep explaining yourself out of the room. That's it. That's a story and stick to it. Have you surfaced price at all earlier in the sales cycle? Or do you just assume that an executive or a CISO is going to know directionally what a snowflake will cost? No, but by this point, if the first time they're seeing price is, is when I'm trying to get the deal signed, a lot of missteps have been made because there also is the, the consideration of, you know, how do I know this is sized properly, right? So at every step along the way, I'm doing a ton of vetting and validating growth numbers, who's going to use it, who's going to use it in the first three months versus six months, right? Because I'm not going to charge you for the first, you know, full rollout in the first month. So that's where I think you can hold your head high if you've done all of those right things. And you can say while you're giving the cost justification, hey, by the way, this is what Miles and, and Jenny and whomever else agreed to, right? Feel free to ask them. I've, I've gotten all of their buy-ins. This is exactly how much you're going to need. This is what year two is going to look like. And if you can have the blessing of all of those people along the way, maybe they do want to, you know, all right, great. You know, let, let's hang up. Let me go, you know, talk to the heads of state. And, you know, ideally you're not, you're not full of crap when you're saying those things. But if you've done that properly, then that's where, you know, you pull out your, your last card, right? Here's my, my rep threshold. Here's as far as I can go. Here's my cost justification that I've already laid out. Here's everybody along the way that's got their fingerprints on this gun. Feel free to hang up on me. You know, go ahead and, and, and you know, go do a sanity check with your team for sure. I'll be here whenever you're ready. And they're going to appreciate that. It's human nature. They're going to want to go do the due diligence. Great. As long as you've done your job, you should be able to speak and, and deliver that with confidence. So you are pre-testing price at the department level each way. So you're almost building the proposal as a sum of its parts. 
and calibrating along the way for each department. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm rarely delivering a proposal that can't be afforded, right? It may get rejected for, for any number of reasons, but I've already done the back work to know that this is budgeted for, that it's sized properly, and that this person is in a position to sign. But I, I'm not delivering something that's unrealistic. So Brandon, there's so much work that is going into these sales cycles. These are long deal cycles. You're going department by department. And one thing that I've heard from you, and I've heard it from other elite sellers we've had on the show, like Ian Koniak from Salesforce or Steven Gergi from the old segment days, is they all say you got to find the sweet spot of where the deals move big, they move fast, and anything else, figure it out fast and get it out of your book. Because the name of the game in enterprise sales is not selling 50 deals, it's selling one deal at 50 million, right? So can you talk about both in the account selection phase, but really as you're going department by department, what are the things that you're trying to sniff out to figure out if you should even spend another three months trying to sell this account or not? Yeah, I think one question I like to ask that it can be a little bit cheeky. So, you know, you definitely have to earn the right and, and know the audience. But if I have somebody that I, I think I've got a level of trust with, or, you know, God forbid they're a champion, then I'll ask point blank, like, hey, if, if, you're, if your budget gets cut in half, right? if your CFO shuts the doors, you know, is this going to get above the line or is this going to get cut with it? Right. What, what has to go? And if, if I think there is, it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to buy, but maybe now the question is how much. It's it's the same question, but hey, if you know if, if budget gets slashed in half uh, as a company, how much of this do you have to have versus how much of, you know? And then that's that gives me a good barometer. If 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 they don't blink, and I know all right, I probably have a good deal. If they start getting wishy washy around it, then something's wrong, or. You know, there's just not enough confidence yet. It doesn't necessarily mean the deal's dead, but that's where you got to have your barometer on. Okay, they're not super sure that if budget gets cut, they can even get a deal done. And there's X amount of blockers within the account. And you know, this isn't the highest propensity account to buy based on who we normally sell into. Right now, I'm sort of triangulate that this may not be where I want to spend my time, or you know. If I only have two accounts, maybe maybe it is, and maybe I just need to change my strategy. Right? It depends on, on what your patch looks like. Right? If you have the, the upside of being able to go find ten others, great. But if you know, you know, it's 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 do or die with this account, and right now I feel like I'm in a really bad spot. Then that's where you need to take a step back and audit yourself and audit what you've done to this point and figure out what the heck can I do to save this before it's too late. But if if those signals aren't a uh, uh, you know, a resounding jump for joy when I ask that question, then I want to go figure out how to make it that way. Killer. Well, Brandon, unfortunately, we're running out of time. And so we got to move to the final question. The final question is this. We've talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing. And now I got to ask you about a shouldn't. And so the last question is, what's one bad habit you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? Yeah. So I guess I'll stay in the in the enterprise vein since that's that's been the theme of today. But the number one mistake I see specifically small you know, SMB commercial reps making the jump to enterprise is that they, they forget about what got them into that role in the first place. And now they think, I'm the big bad steak dinner sales rep who's you know, going to you know, start talking circles around people 
when I got promoted and I've made President's Club the last three years because I was the highest activity rep in the country, right? Why am I going to give up that to go be this? And this weird invisible flip switches, right? So whatever got you to this point, keep doing that. Be authentic to yourself, right? You can smell BS from a mile away. So don't try to be something you're not, right? And, and just because now you're selling it to one account when you sold it to 100, doesn't mean your activity should drop. Right now, you have 100 accounts. They all just wear the same uniform. So I think sticking to those principles will prevent you from gaining the, you know, the freshman 15 of sales, which is you're not going to hit your number. Love it. Brandon, thank you for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Your Zoom Info Actionable Insight Tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Brandon Wagner include number one, when you get into the executive room, first you need to prep and then bring your top two to three things that you think they care about, but then shut up and ask why they took the call in the first place. Number two, when you are finishing that executive meeting, always ask for them to sponsor you in running the deal cycle moving forward and have them CC you on introductions to each of the department leads. Number three, as you're going through the sales cycle, you should not wait till the end of the sale to bring up price. That's a big mistake. Instead, test pricing at each of the levels of the department leads first. So when you roll it all up, it still makes sense. And then lastly, number four, there are a couple ways you can test if you're wasting your time in a deal. One of them is ask your champions or your exec sponsor, if budget gets cut, are you above or below the fold? All righty, Nick, how could people help us out here? Well, just like you're asking the exec to sponsor you, I'm asking people to sponsor 30 Minutes to President's Club. Believe it or not, I'm responsible for all of our sponsor advertising sales and customer success. And so if you know anybody who sells into sales or markets into sales, um, aka people who might want to get in front of you, wonderful audience, if you'd put them my way, I don't know, I'll buy you a corn dog or something and that would make my day. So if you know anyone who wants to sponsor 30 Minutes to President's Club, let us know. We appreciate you. We'll see you next week on the show. Get a corn dog.
Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes.